Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. It feels like forever, Seth, since uh, I've had the chance to say that, because, uh, dear listeners, for those who don't know, we, we do a lot of our recording in advance, so... Um, we, we usually have a couple episodes laid out, which is why we talk about pod time, but one of us had some issues. That issue was my computer. Yes. We have a new computer. We are recording. Yep. We're recording. This is, this is a new episode, but for you listeners, it will be brand new. And for us, it'll be very old when you hear it. That's right. That's right. So anyway, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing a little game called Crusader of Senti. Uh, which every time I look at it, I think is called Crusader of Century, but it's spelled C-E-N-T-Y, Senti. Now, Crusader of Senti was developed in 1994 by Nextech and published by Sega. The game is a lot like Link to the Past, but on the Sega Genesis and not on the Super Nintendo. It's actually so much like Link to the Past that when I saw a picture of the game for the first time many years ago, I was like, wow, this just looks like a like a mod of Link to the Past or like a, a ROM hack of it. And then I found out, no, it's, it's an actual legit game that was made and sold for the Sega. In the game, you actually play as a character who's not named Link. Uh, your character is named Corona, though you can also choose to name the character. So in my game, for example, the character's name is Zack. On their 14th birthday, they are given a weapon by their mother to go kill things with because everyone in that town is given a sword on their 14th birthday. So on your 14th birthday, you get a birthday cake and an actual sword. Like Pokemon, right? Yeah, except if it would be like Ash got handed a gun <laughs> on his on his like 11th birthday. I mean, but, uh, he's got an electric mouse. which is He does, probably... which is probably way more powerful than a gun. Now, the game of Crusader of Senti is actually divided into two parts. So in the first half, uh, you have to take your time to discover the world and unlock various levels and also kind of do some grinding of just killing things and searching for things. The second half of the game, though, you lose the ability to speak to humans, so you can only communicate with animals and plants. So kind of unique, where in Legend of Zelda, Link can always talk to humans. In this game, Corona loses that ability. It's pretty fun. Again, it plays a lot like Link to the Past, though I think Link to the Past has a bit more tighter controls. I do like that in Crusader of Senti, one thing you can do is there's a, a move where you can throw your sword like a boomerang, which is really cool because unlike the boomerang in Zelda, it doesn't stun an enemy. You just are literally chucking your sword. <laughs> so it kills the enemy. Uh, that's a kind of a cool ability. Uh, that's Crusader of Senti for the Sega Genesis. I have been playing it, by the way, uh, via emulation because it is a hard to find game and goes for quite a bit of money if you wanted to pick it up physically these days. As we mentioned earlier, I was out without a, a computer for a number of weeks, so it was hard to recently play something. Though I did actually end up playing some more classic video games on my Raspberry Pi that I have, so I was able to play the the X-Men game for the Sega Genesis, which I think is just titled X-Men. I'm just doing this off the cuff. Yeah, it's just called X-Men, and it has probably one of the greatest covers. I would say that it actually probably has a better cover than Clone Wars. Clone Wars is 
the better game. But the original X-Men has got that 90s pop X-Men. Very like, uh, what is it? Uh, Bob McCoyd, I think is uh, Chris Claremont. Yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob McCoyd kind of styling. So it was like right at the 90s X-Men versions. You got Cyclops in the blue, Wolverine in the, the yellow with the uh, Batman faces looking at each other. They're on the cover with Gambit, Storm, uh, Archangel, Nightcrawler. The game is a it was an action platformer, and in the game you can play as four different X Men. You can play as either Cyclops, Wolverine, Gambit, or Nightcrawler, and then you can have four X Men kind of back you up, and you can have Iceman, Storm, Archangel, or Jean Grey can pick you up if you fall off the cliff. I really enjoy that you could change your X Men on the fly so depending on what part of the puzzle you need to figure out you may be like oh gambit's better suited for this so you can just like swap out your character and then you can also activate the different characters so if you really want like archangel to come and shoot things you can you can do that so it's yeah it's a it's a platformer it's a pretty tough game to play uh a little bit more about the information is that it came out in 1993 uh north america and it was developed by western technologies incorporated and published by sega and the game takes place in the danger room oh yeah it does doesn't it so you're like platforming in the danger room and then all of a sudden it'll just like shift into like the jungles but it's just like it's just like the danger room in the jungle (laughs) and uh you have to find the computer virus that's causing the danger room to go crazy and obviously the one and only magneto is behind it all as we know magneto is probably one of the greatest x-men villains known to man my favorite thing about the x-men game for the sega genesis is one i'm pretty sure when you use wolverine's claws they use energy yeah they all use energy yeah but like when you use his claws they use energy yeah well they they retract he has retractable claws that's stupid to me but uh, the other the other thing is Mojo Stage. Um, you, at one point, when you get to Mojo Stage, you have to reset the computer. Yes. To do that, you have to actually do a soft reset of your Genesis yes. console, which for the Genesis is pressing the reset button. If you're playing in an emulator, there's a soft reset button that you can press usually. Yes. Fun fact, my Genesis has a broken reset button. So if I played X-Men 1 on real hardware, I could never get past that stage. Yeah. And it, doesn't it... Um, It's a tough game to get to that stage too. I wouldn't get to that stage, but... but- <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you, you play through this tough game and then the game requires you to reset it to yeah. proceed forward. That's just, I would be like, no, that's scary. It is, it is scary. I don't like it. Anyway, this is not an episode about X-Men. We definitely could do an episode on X-Men though. I'm sure there may be an episode about X-Men in the future. Anyway, today we're talking about, uh, actually... Both of our games kind of relate to the topic of today, because today we're That's talking right. about an add-on for the Sega Genesis. That's right. Both of the games being games we played on the Sega, or on, through Sega Genesis emulators. <laughs> That's right. We actually, I don't think we, act, oh no, I think we did. We, I think we rented the X-Men. I own it. We have it. We got it from a friend. Um, we owned X-Men 2 before we owned yeah, X-Men 1. Yeah, we did. 1. As per, we per do in our tradition. life. We only own sequels. We only own sequels to games. Anyway, we are talking about the Sega CD, or for our friends in Europe, the Mega CD, um, which is a, a thing that came out for the, the Sega Genesis. Um, so getting a bit into, well, I guess before we get into history, Seth, do you have any memories of the Sega CD? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, that's fun. To be honest, I at some point in time, so I know like Sega CD is very similar to the 32X in regards to it's an attachment to your Sega Genesis. And so 
you can stack them all to make like this big tower of power, right? At some point in time in my life, I came to understand that the Sega CD and the 32X, more so the Sega CD versus the 32X, were a thing. At some point in time in my life, I acknowledged that they existed. I also believe that I may have also thought that the Sega Saturn, which came out shortly after the Sega CD, was also the Sega CD or also the Sega Saturn. So in my mind, I knew that the Sega had a CD-capable thing, but I had a friend who owned a Saturn, and so some people would say Sega CD, and in my head I would just say, I think they're talking about the Saturn because it has a CD player. Because the Saturn and the Sega CD came out around the same time? Well, the Saturn came out a little later, but... Yeah, um, like a couple of years. Yeah. Maybe a year or two. It was hot on the heels. Yeah, the 32X and the Saturn were closer to each other because of the obnoxious thing that happened with... Sega of America developing one and Japan developing the other. Right, right, but, right. But um, yeah, I remember seeing Sega CD games at like Funko Land, but I think they used to be bundled with like, I think they were put in the same section as the Saturn games. So yeah, because they're probably. very, very similar cases. They were these tall jewel cases. And I think I learned about the Sega CD mostly because we had a Windows copy of Sonic CD. And I yes. remember looking into Sonic CD as a child trying to like, why is there a Sonic game for the PC? and finding out it was a port of this game that was originally for the thing called the Sega CD. So getting into the history of the Sega CD, the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive. So going forward, we're going to call the Sega Genesis the Genesis and the Sega CD the Sega CD. But just to acknowledge that we do have European fans and European listeners, they are referred to as the Mega Drive over in Europe and Japan and the Mega CD for the Sega CD. So just to get that out of the way, and just so we're not constantly being like, Sega Genesis, also known as the Mega Drive. Sega CD, also known as Mega CD. We're just going to refer to them as the Genesis and the Sega CD going forward. The Sega Genesis was released in 1988. However, it wasn't until the 1990s that it really started to hit those sales. And the reason being was that Sega CEO Hayao Nakayama and Tom Kalinske, who is CEO of Sega of America, developed a four-part plan to get the Genesis into the households of Americans. This was their plan. 1. Pack in Sonic the Hedgehog with every Sega console. 2. Cut the price down. 3. Increase the advertising. Much more aggressive. And 4. The games for the American market were going to be developed by an, a new American team. America. So that was their four-part plan to make sure that the Sega became a household name in America. The 1990s, though, meant that the Genesis was already entering its third year of sales, which in terms of the video game world, this could either be a make or break area. You know, this could be a death sentence for a game console, as we've seen from previous consoles. To level set people, a general like lifespan, six, seven years. So three years in, you're halfway through your lifespan. I don't know if even at this time that they realize that, but that ends up being the lifespan. So halfway through its life. Sega also had to keep in mind that their competition nintendo just released the thing that they were making as the answer to the genesis the super nintendo which like people bought a genesis because it was more powerful than the original nintendo now people who played original nintendo games had something that was probably a little more superior to the genesis at times i mean that's a that's a whole argument for another day sega really needed a way to extend the life of their venerable but now vulnerable system and the way they did this 
was they came up with some add-ons. However, just as a little history lesson, the Sega CD was not the first add-on to the Genesis. That title would actually go to what's called the Power Base Converter, which is a stupid name because it sounds like something that you find in your car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Power Base Converter came out in 1989, and it's really, I wouldn't call it an add-on. It is an add-on. It physically is ad- added to your system. But it didn't really do anything besides make the cartridge port a slightly different size. Because the Sega Genesis was actually built to be 100% backward compatible with the Sega Master System. The only problem was Master System titles did not fit inside the Genesis cartridge slot. But the Genesis literally has the hardware of a Master System inside of it like it's built on master system hardware you just needed a way to put those cartridges in pop in the power base converter plop in a master system game boom bob's your uncle that's a horrible name for a converter they should have just called it play master system games it, it makes it sound like it's like doing something with the power of the system yeah. it's not you don't plug in anything separate literally just it goes in the cartridge slot that's all it does the sega cd itself was different as it was designed to be an add-on that added something entirely new, the benefit of CD-ROMs. CD-ROMs at the time, in in the 1990s, were still kind of a new concept. I mean, they've been around for a while, but people were just kind of getting into them, um, especially with music. They were starting to become what would be the trendsetter for high-quality media, Uh, For a variety of reasons, three of which I consider to be, one, CDs tend to be overall cheaper to produce. Um, It costs a lot less money to stamp a CD than it does to build a cartridge. Two, they are slimmer in terms of packaging. So you could not only store them physically in a store at higher volumes, but you could also store them in distribution centers at higher volumes, thus producing more of them. And CDs could store a lot of data. And these are CD-ROMs, which evolved from laser discs. Yes, smaller laser discs, as we call them. <laughs> and Zach was talking about like the data and the differences between the cartridge data and the CD data. In regards to like this change in size, we've talked about this on the podcast before. It's a big deal. Uh, Sega cartridges uh, at the time held an average about four megabytes of data or about 32 megabits. Now, most CDs can hold around 700 megabytes of data. So essentially, this means that games could take advantage of the space by using it for full motion video or high quality audio and like full motion video means that you can get games like night trap which we talked about on episode 47 or sewer shark which sounds like a game that i need to play yesterday (laughs) sega was not the first to come up with the idea of a CD-based video game content. NEC, uh, which stands for what, Zach? Nippon Electric Company. I launched a system known as the PC Engine CD-ROM Superscript, the number two Squared. system. Yeah. <laughs> Squared. That's the way it's yeah, written. <laughs> yeah. PC Engine CD-ROM Square system in October of 1988 for their PC Engine system, uh, which would be known as the TurboGrafx-16 in the United States. Commodore International released a CD-based system called the CDTV in early 1991. And of course, there was the Philips CDI, which we've talked about 
back an earlier episode, which uh, launched in 1991. So CDs and video games were all already happening. Were they happening well? Well, that's to be determined, but uh, they were definitely in the market. And production of the Sega CD began shortly after Genesis originally was released. They were like, we need to keep rolling and make sure that we evolve from this cartridge system pretty quick. Tomio Takami, who was a manager for Sega's Consumer Products Research and Development Labs, was tasked with creating a CD-ROM add-on back in the beginning after Genesis was originally released. They originally aimed to be equal to the capabilities of the TurboGrafx CD, or PC Engine CD-ROM squared system, (laughs) but they wanted it to have twice the amount of RAM. Takami's team was also tasked with making sure that the sprites were able to scale and rotate cleanly to already mimic what Sega's arcade games were able to do. So while they were developing the Sega CD, Sega did have some choices that that came up along the process that did allow the machine ultimately to be pushed a bit further than they originally outlined. Sega encountered an issue with the CPU of the Genesis, the Motorola 68000, which was just too slow to handle the Sega CD. So they added another 68000, because what's better than one, two, uh, (laughs) into the the Sega CD's design. They also boosted the RAM of the machine from one megabit to six megabits. That is not a lot of RAM, just as... Back then, it's a decent amount of RAM. Yeah, back then, that was a decent amount of RAM. My current computer has 32 gigabytes of RAM, (laughs) which is a bit more than six megabits, which is not to be confused with megabytes. Yeah, bits are different than bytes. This did, however, boosting the, the RAM and adding the additional Motorola CPU did make it more expensive and push the price point up. During the development, they estimated that the machine would cost roughly around $150 or $305 in today's money. However, the changes they made to the machine, it came in now at $370 or $753 in 2021 money. So they're developing an add-on that costs more than the base (laughs) system by a lot. (laughs) I think that's double the price of the Genesis even at that that time. Yeah, yeah, that's an expensive, that's an expensive puppy. $750 to get, uh, yeah, you have to really love the Genesis to buy this. Now, Sega was not deterred, however, by the cost as they believed consumers would pay for state of the art technology Hmm. as we've talked about with with sega before there's kind of a history with sega you see for every good idea sega of japan has sega of america is not told about this idea and they are left in the dark with the sega cd this was obvious sega of america was kept so in the dark that they didn't learn about the sega cd until mid 1991 when they received a test unit and some preliminary technical data now i want you to remember that beginning that the sega cd had begun design work like they were coming up with the idea of the sega cd around the time the genesis was released in 1988 so 
It took them until 1991 to tell another part of their entire team that they were making something to go on the system that that other team was selling. That's three years that they're just like, didn't send that email. (laughs) So Michael Latham, who was the uh, former Sega of America executive producer, was later quoted on this topic and said, when you work at a multinational company, there are things that go well and there are things that don't. They didn't want to send us working Sega CD units. They wanted to send us dummies and not send us the working CD units until the last minute. Latham believed that this was due to the fact that Sega of Japan was essentially terrified that Sega of America would leak the system if it were in their hands. Sega of Japan was worried that their own company would leak their own product. I think that, though, even at this time in the 90s, I think there was this competitive edge, not just between game companies, like there wasn't just a competitive edge between Sega and Nintendo, there was a competitive edge between the United States and Japan. And we even, as we talked about in our Star Fox episode, when a developer that Nintendo of Japan hired wanted to go over and work with them, they shoved him into a, like a back room far away from where the people actually worked. Put him like, in the smoking just room. Just to keep... To keep them away from the trade secrets because they did it, there's just this distrust so this is part of the reasons that sega of japan was like nah sega of america could just keep doing what they're doing we'll get that to them when it's done now sega of america was they they were going to push forward um they decided that they were still going to develop for the system that they had to sell so in order to develop for it michael latham and shinobu toyota who was sega of america's vice president of licensing put together a functioning sega cd unit by using a rom for the sega cd and installing that rom into a dummy unit um so they pretty much just like did a makeshift sega cd out of what they were given and it worked and they're like all right we got this going for us let's do this but this wasn't the only thing that frustrated sega of america because they were also being handed cheap products by Sega of Japan to test when they were were getting some of the early builds. Uh, they were annoyed that the machine that they were getting, particularly some of the dummy machines, were cheaper audio CD drives and they weren't proper CD-ROMs because there's a difference between an audio CD drive and a CD-ROM drive. The drive in your computer, if you have an optical disk drive in your computer, is much different than the drive that might be in your car because they're designed to read two different types of data. So these devices that they were getting, which were supposed to play video games, had the same type of drive that was in commercial audio CD players at that time, which, according to Scott Bayless, who was a former Sega of America senior producer, led to some severe problems. Severe as in the units literally burst into flames kind of problems. So that was something. (laughs) Basically, the issue was that the games just needed more time seeking data data on these drives so as they kind of chugged to read the disc it would overheat and just burst into flames which you know isn't something that you want to sell to people friction (laughs) yes sega ended up unveiling the sega cd for the first time at the 1991 tokyo toy show and launched in december of 1991 in japan and later in october of 1992 in america where it retailed for 299 dollars or 567 dollars in 2021 dollars so at some point in time they either decided to cut costs or take a loss (laughs) and i'm guessing that they cut costs somewhere along the line in japan 
had, within the first year, the system sold around 100,000 units, but sales quickly declined. In America, due to production problems, only about 50,000 units were available at launch. By the end of 1992, uh, Sega CD would end up selling around 200,000 units and 300,000 units by 1993. Sega of America would also partner with Blockbuster to offer rental units. The system also launched in Europe and the UK in 1993, with only about only around 60,000 units selling that year. Somebody else offered rental units through Blockbuster, and I think that somebody was Virtual Boy. They had Blockbuster rentals. If you need if you need a system not to sell, give it to Blockbuster. <laughs> Sega would also release a revised model called the Sega CD2 in 1993. This machine had a reduced price tag, getting down to $229 or $434, and was bundled with Sewer Shark. By 1993, however, the Sega CD effectively became obsolete due to the newer CD-based consoles like the 3DO interactive multiplayer system and Sega officially discontinuing the Sega CD in the first quarter of 1996. Right around 1996, you're looking at the next generation of video games coming out. Such as the Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation. And the N64, a cartridge-based system by Nintendo. That's right. By then, a total of 2.24 million units were sold worldwide with 400,000 of that being in Japan alone. So was it successful? I don't know. I'd say it was probably, it did all right. Definitely didn't do super hot in Japan though. I mean, in the first year they sold 100,000 units and by 96 they sold 4,000 units in Japan. So they definitely made their sales internationally. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like also we would have to do an episode on the 32X, which we could do. I feel, I wonder comparing the 32x sales to see if people are just like sick of buying stuff for their sega genesis and to see if that like continue to drop down talking about sega cd though let's talk about some games because this was a game machine so it had games on it anyway sega cd uh, had about 205 titles in total 57 titles uh, were exclusive to japan 39 were exclusive to north america and five were european exclusives so add those together, and then the difference in that between the 205 are the titles that were released worldwide. Some of the games that um, were released were just enhanced ports of Sega Genesis titles, such as uh, Echo the Dolphin Enhanced. I believe there was an Earthworm Jim Enhanced. There was a copy of Batman Returns, which also came out for the Genesis. And there were also plenty of original titles, such as Sonic CD. And Sewer Shark. And Sewer Shark. Uh, unique to the system were some FMV titles, such as Sewer Shark which was a first-person rail shooter set in a post-apocalyptic future. The player controls a sewer jockey whose job is to exterminate mutated monsters from the sewers of Solar City. That's alliteration right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sounding game. Some other FMV titles that were in available for the Sega CD included Dragon's Lair, Night Trap, Double Switch, Time Gal, and Mag Dog McCree, which I believe is a Western shooter game. It is, yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, I've heard good things about Mad Dog McCree. I think it's also a sought-after game, so if you are a collector of the Sega CD, I think it's uh, one of those games that you definitely want to snag. A lot of FMV titles like Time Gal and Dragon Lair, the game play largely consists of timing your button presses with something on the screen, which is similar to how the arcade game plays. Yeah, so... Because these, many of these games, such as Dragon's Lair and I believe Mad Dog McCree, were uh, available on 
the arcade cabinet and in the Laserdisc arcade cabinet. There was also a, a version of Space Ace that was released on the Sega CD. Also, Space Ace was a Don Bluth production, similar to Dragon's Lair. Some people call it like Dragon's Lair 2 sort of thing. Um, not really, but it's it, it's like kind of that same style. But yeah, basically you'd be essentially watching an interactive movie and then like something will flash on the screen. You hit a button and you have to do that or else you die. Right. It's like life, I guess. Yeah, just like um, life. Sometimes <laughs> you just see a button and got to press it. Uh, there, are, there were also a number of RPG titles that were released such as Shining Force CD, Shimagani Tensei, and Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, Eye of the Beholder. I'll probably have to try and see if I can play Shining Force CD. I'm kind of interested in that. Shin Megami Tensei is a still ongoing series. In fact, there was Shin Megami Tensei 4 Nocturne released, I believe, for the PlayStation 2 and recently brought to the PS5, PS4. But another series spun off of Shin Megami Tensei called Persona. Oh, yes. that's a popular game. It is. So the Persona games are a spinoff of the Shin Megami Tensei games. Which was available on the Sega CD. The first one was, yes. Persona was not available on the Sega CD. <laughs> and Mist was also available on the Sega CD. Of course. <laughs> Mist is always... Mist is available on everything. Yes. Just like Doom. Was Doom available on the Sega CD? No. no. Doom was on the 32X. Ah, oh, the 32X. Oh, it was available on the SNES. It was. It's bad. All right. So, uh, that's going to be our Sega CD episode. Let's talk about our Byway Pass games, Seth. Let's talk sure, about the games we sure. are looking forward to buying, waiting, or passing on. I will go first. I wanted to go first. Do you want to go first? You'll go first. Okay. So the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing is a game that I actually just played the demo of, and it's called Grime. And it is a game that came out on the 2nd of August. So it just came out. And you play as this creature, and you have to... Yeah, it's a creature. It's an, uh, they call it an action adventure RPG. So what that means, and based on what I've played, is that it's a platformer where you can level up your character. That does tend to be the definition. Yeah, so it's a, it's a platformer where you can level up your characters. And no, I think you could, because it doesn't necessarily have to be a platformer. Anyway, so it's like, it's a, it's a platformer, uh, 2D, it's a 3D, 2D style. So it's like a 3D bright, but in a 2D world where it's a side scrolling type of situation. Okay. Well, the, the world's not 2D. The world is also 3D, but you can only move in two dimensions. You can't come into the third dimension as it were maybe a little bit but it's like a cave system so it's like you, you can go up down left or right like i said you play as this creature and in this in this cave that you're in there are these other creatures and they are weird looking and when they attack you you can absorb them into you like kirby kind of except a little more dark and you jump around and, and go through this world and absorb them and as you absorb them you can then use you gain essentially yeah kind of like kirby you get their powers that you can unlock as you get things so you get like these this like currency from destroying things and this currency can be spent on upgrades and of those upgrades you can buy you can upgrade your general stats like strength or health or dexterity or you can upgrade the um the powers that you collected from the monsters that you interview that you saw so with that the game also works on these there's these like pods that you can climb into and do the leveling up they call it growing because you can destroy absorb and grow is essentially the tagline and when you you can also destroy yourself and when you destroy yourself 
yourself, you go back to like this grow pod and the boss, the enemies repopulate. So then you can absorb more enemies. And it's kind of like, that's kind of like the game gimmick as it were. Played the demo. I probably played about 30, 30 minutes of it. Uh, I'm going to wait on it. Right now it's going for about $22 on sale, which will end on August 9th, which may be after, before this episode comes out. So the MSRP is $24.99 and I have a couple of games that are very similar to this game. I'm not sure if I'm going to want to buy it right away. I'll probably keep it on my wish list and maybe check out their other game, which is Vigil, um, and play more of the demo. But apparently the games that are similar are Inside, which I can see, and Jedi Fallen Order, which I can't really see, but... Yes, maybe it's, I guess the Jedi Fallen Order is kind of an action platformer. So, Zach. Seth. What are you excited about buying, waiting, or passing on? Seth, the game that I'm excited about buy, waiting, or passing on is Metroid Dread. Mm. Uh, Metroid Dread was announced during one of Nintendo's more recent things that they did, where they kind of were like, hey, here's some games coming up. I think it was a Direct. I have an E3. I think it was E3. So, Metroid Dread is due out October 8th, 2021. It is a direct sequel to Metroid Fusion. Now, I have not played Metroid Fusion. I haven't actually played a lot of Metroid games. Uh, I played a bit of the first one, played a little bit of Super Metroid, and I played up to a certain part of Metroid Prime, but I got stuck, and I was very young at the time, and I gave up. I should probably play Metroid Prime again at some point, because it's a good game. So, I I do like Metroid. I like Metroid Prime. I have not played Metroid Fusion. Am I going to get this game? Probably not, but it looks very cool. Uh, One thing I like is that there seems to be this new mechanic where you're being hunted by this new robot enemy, who looks a lot like Dog from Half-Life 2, but, like, painted white and evil. Looks unique. I like the idea of games where you're, like, constantly being pursued, even though that's, like, severely anxiety inducing but games like alien isolation or scp containment breach are all games that um have an aesthetic that i like where you are kind of constantly being pursued by this enemy that you can't necessarily get rid of easily so uh looks unique i i certainly think metroid dread looks like it's going to be fun for people who like metroid though i do want to hold out for the next metroid prime game as do apparently a lot of people who are fans of metroid but uh i'm, I'm sure this one will be good so uh i'm gonna put it down as a pass but i'll keep an eye out for it who knows if it goes on sale which unfortunately nintendo games never do but if i find a copy on sale maybe i'll snag it um sometime in the future but that's metroid dread due out october 8th 2021 nice well that brings us to the end of our episode yes and as always at the end of our episode we would like to tell you certain things in order to listen to us support us or contact us. Yes. And so you, if you want to listen to us, uh, you, you have gotten to this part of the episode, as I always joke, so you have figured out some way to listen to us. So congrats. You can continue to listen to us the same way that you have. However, if you wish to change how you listen to us, we are available where all those podcasts are found, such as Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you want to support us while you're on those different listening agents, you can give us a review. Reviews really help, especially on iTunes. So give us go over to the uh, Rate This Podcast and give us the, the review that you think we deserve, which hopefully is good. Next, if you wanted to 
support us. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You could tell your friends as well. <laughs> you could say, listen to listen to these guys. They go on about video games. They're pretty fun. And as we, I, I've talked to people in the real space, and I, I've said to people if they, when I mention that I have a podcast, uh, they say, ah, yes, I should listen to it. And I say, listen, you should listen to the episodes that you want to listen to. We never require you to listen to all of them or any of them. In fact, you could stop listening to us for a while, come back and check to see what we've done lately. Uh, we're going to keep making episodes. And uh, if you find, if you see a topic that you want to hear us talk about, come on and check it out. If you don't, then I mean, there it is. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people don't want to hear about Sega CD uh, or the Apple Pippin, but we'll, we'll keep moving right along, making episodes. If you want to contact us, there's a number of ways to do it. You could head to our website, which is classicgamingbrothers.com, and there you can listen to us and you can contact us through the contact us form. If you are new school and you want to send us an email instead of using a contact form, you could send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. If you are new new school, you can follow us on the social medias. We have a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitch, and a Twitter. So our Facebook and Instagram are at Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitch is twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. And our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. We announce when episodes are coming out. Uh, we are pretty low-key on our social media interactions, but that's because uh, we're busy. But um, we are working on a couple of ideas, and we also did actually get new stuff up in our store, which is something that I've been promising for a year at least or half a year no probably a year that I've been promising new stuff so I put two new shirts up there I'm proud that I accomplished something in 2021 I it's August so I'm making some good progress here and we'll probably have something ready for Q4 quarter four of this year so once we settle back down from Seth getting married which is me um, then we'll uh, we'll work and start cracking into getting uh, some new stuff out to you guys with that we also if you want to have any feedback you can always send us feedback uh we do offer up free games so if you do send us a a we do probably should do a drawing someday soon um but if you if you do want to send us an email we can uh we can send you a free game so send us feedback we love hearing about episodes whether you hate them or don't and with that i think i touched everything zach is there anything else that i'm missing you are missing one really important thing seth it's uh don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's, That's right. right.